0: If you are older than grade 6 or grade 9 and still breathing, this is your turn right here. (laughs) If you stop breathing, please don't disturb the rest of us during this time. Thank you. It's all about me. I hope you've been enjoying enjoying our sort of cruise through 1 John. It is a tough section of scripture, and it isn't going to get easier today. If you've read ahead, there's some tough stuff And stuff I really believe applies even more to us. As you can see, I'm just getting a little wound up here. Trying to address some things that we've been through as a church from what I've gleaned from other people. I say we, I did not go through it, but I have in many ways lived it numerous times when I'm talking to people. And don't think I don't feel some form of emotion to it. I may not have gone through it, but I see it in the eyes of people. I see the hurt. I see the displeasure with what's happened. I've seen some rejoicing in what was happening, and then all of a sudden it seemed to stop. Of course, there's COVID in that. I do have some feelings. I'll never fully understand because I've not been through it, but I do know there is hurt out there, and I do know there is misleading information out there. And I think it's time we get back to God's Word, and that's why God laid on my heart that we do First John, because it's so simple. It's kind of interesting. I think that the in-and-out mentality can be a little taxing for us, though. It's kind of scary. He does make it very clear there's one way and one way only to be a follower of Christ. His statements, John's statements, are sprinkled with grace. But then he goes right back and just nails it. You're in or you're out. You love your brother or you're not a follower of Christ. You're in the light or you're in the darkness. There is no sort of dusk area where it's kind of light and kind of dark. I think it's important to remember some of the things John has said so far. John has said, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them. There's grace. He's also said, I tell you this so you won't sin. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. There is grace. But it's sprinkled into some very hard things. Some things that say, you have a responsibility You have a requirement as a follower of Christ to do specific things, or you are walking away from Christ. That's a tough thought. I know there's many doctrines as to whether you can lose your salvation, but I'll put it to you this way. Whether you can lose it or not is not the issue. Do you want to be someone who wants to take that chance, or do you want to walk hand in hand with Christ? Even if you can't lose your salvation, do you not want to please God and be in the light? I think we argue too many doctrines, and instead of arguing, how can I make my Savior happy? How can I follow my Savior? How can I live in the light? We're in a society right now that teaches basically how you feel is who you are. If you feel one way, you must be that way. That's very different than 50 years ago. Or even more than that, there were rules. There were moral boundaries that everyone followed. The Christ followers had this moral set of boundaries. We love to say it's a Christian country. That's not true. We have a Christian Judeo-Law system. That does not automatically make you a Christian. Being born in a Christian country does not make you a Christian. But the moral systems of the law matched Judeo-Christian morality. That means those who truly follow Christ would be in a line basically with those who said, well, I'm a Christian based on birth. And actually, those who did nothing to follow Christ, those who say, I don't believe in God, would still have similar morals to everyone else. The difference may be they may go against those morals. Someone may choose to do evil, but they know that the group, the general culture says that's wrong. We're not like that anymore. We have got one thing right. We have stopped being so judgmental. We have stopped automatically assuming that some people are not redeemable because they don't do it our way. The problem is, when we became less judgmental, we stopped using good judgment. The Bible is full of good judgment. It is instructions on how to judge the culture around us, not the individuals, but what is right and wrong. Those who claim to follow Christ and those who don't follow him at all used to have a moral code. We're more likely in our culture now to say both those groups are right no matter what they choose to do. John gives us tough assessments on the pitfalls of our walk with Christ. Whether it's the John of the Bible that we're reading now or Pastor John who preached here for years or John David Peaver, by the way, My first name's John as well. A lot of John's going on here. All those people have the responsibility to tell you the truth, to address the culture, and to preach a message that's actually counter-culture. The culture of the world is the way of the world, and we are not people that are of this world. It's not easy now, though. In the past, when you said don't do this, there'd be a cheer, or don't do that, there'd be a cheer, or you need to do this, there'd be a cheer. Now there's a, well, is that loving to say? Is it kind to say that? Do Christians actually call people out? It's a different culture we live in. It's not a different Jesus. It's not a different God. So we need to get used to telling the truth in love just as John does. John is pretty harsh. You're in or you're out. You're either aligned with God or you're aligned with the evil one. Remember the grace We cannot stand here and preach a hard message without reminding everyone here we're all saved through the grace of God. Our failures are not the end of our salvation, but rather the opportunity to fall on the grace of God. If I continue to preach you're in or you're out and have you scared to death that if you make the wrong move going out of the church there, that's it, you're going to hell, that's not the gospel either. We must not beat people down with the truth. We do not want a hopeless group of people, but people that desire to do well, but have a sense of security and assurance that their faith and their willingness to go to God allows Jesus' blood to do the job it was intended to do. We all play a part. The interesting thing is we're allowed to play a part in a plan that we can't actually control. We're allowed to be a part of something that we couldn't fix on our own. It's one of the weirdest things where God lets us join in our imperfection, His perfect plan. God also asks us to do something, to follow Him, and yet we are imperfect, so He knows we can't perfectly follow Him. There's some tension, just like 1 John has tension. We need to realize the situation is dire. The consequences are real and devastating for those who don't know Christ. But for those who know God and his power and the love of Jesus Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ, the situation has been taken care of. There is hope, but there is also hopelessness. In a world that wants to follow ways that make them comfortable, there is hopelessness. They're the ones that are drowning in their own sin. I believe John found himself in a similar situation than we are today. That he needed to draw a line and say, there is things that are godly and things that are worldly, and we need to know the difference. I think we're there today, too. As a matter of fact, maybe even more so. Because we have a worldwide culture. Where John may be addressing a culture that was a small country or a small area, We've got things like the interweb there, all these brand new things that I hope work for me all the time. We've got those things where everything I say here this morning could be said across the world. As long as they can understand what I'm saying or they've got the Google app there that changes into their language, whatever I say can become a world cultural revolution. That's not me talking arrogantly. I'm not sure they want to listen to me. The point is, the potential is there that I could start a cult from here, through those cameras. So where John was addressing a group of people that were affecting the Christ followers of the time, I may be addressing the entire world. That sounds exciting, but if you really think about it, it's incredibly dangerous. The power held from this front of this auditorium, if misused, is damaging. We need to be aware of that, and that's why there's so much correction we need to do in this world. John recognizes the hard truth along with the grace of God. And I hope all the way through this you'll see me saying, in or out, but also when you make that error that shoves you towards the out, God's there. Repent of your sins. Confession. And God is faithful and just to forgive your sins. I want to do the same today because we're going to go into a place that's really uncomfortable. In that place, I think, you're going to hear me talking. You're going to hear things from our church. But even if you're not been in this church for any length of time or you're tuning in from somewhere else, you're going to hear things in the North American culture at least that have become the norm. And they're destroying those who walk with Christ or try to. There are people there who have no idea of moral truth from the Bible because it's not taught anymore. But I want to sprinkle that with grace. I do believe God is gracious to those who don't understand, to those whose hearts desire repentance. But here's a chance to give us all an opportunity to say, I want to be different. I want to follow God. I want to do what is right. But I do like how our first section starts here, because it should be encouraging. I know sometimes we read the Bible. In King James, it can be even worse. It sounds like a Shakespearean sonnet. But even in the NIV, which is fairly modern language, You may find this kind of tongue-twisting, but see what you can pull from it as I read it to you. And when I explain it to you, if you haven't gotten it already, you'll you'll see something really exciting. Something that gives you assurance of your salvation and a fact that we're on a journey with God. 1 John 2.12 says, I write you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Before we dive into the hard stuff, let's look at what John says. He's writing this letter to people who have a life in Christ, who have a future for all eternity. Every time he puts something hard down there and says, you got to follow this, he reminds the people he's writing to, I write to you because you are in the Father. Today I hope that we can recognize we're all on a journey. We're at different places in our life. But for those who believe, those who truly are Christ followers... I also don't use the word Christian much anymore. That's a birth thing. It's on your birth certificate, or maybe not certificate, but the papers you sign, unless that's changed. What is your religion? Well, you put down Christianity if you're not anything else. Often Christians are people who are just not Muslims, or just not Hindus. And that's how you get that marking. When I say Christ followers, it is a choice to follow Christ. We know where Christ went. It's to follow Christ, even if it means death. That's different than just being a Christian. So in your journey, if you're an infant in Christ, a child in Christ, a teenager in Christ, I wonder what that looks like. I think I had a few of those years where I started to think I knew a lot. A little more rebellious, a little more trying to explain to God how things worked. That's the teenage years of being a Christian. I still do it sometimes. God, did you see that? You realize what's going on over here? What's wrong with you? The point being is I think we're all at different points in our journey. Some are young adults where we're actually setting out in what we're called to do as Christ followers. Where we'd say it's a career, I would suggest it's a calling within your church family. What is your gifting? That's kind of like the young adult. Then there's middle age. I'm not sure what that one is other than sports cars, and there's no Bible thing for that one. But anyway, the middle-aged Christian. And then there's those who are that far away from seeing Jesus face to face. But we're all on a journey, and it's important to be warned about the things we need to avoid. It is so important to be aware that there are things out there that want to draw us away. These warnings are given, reminding you that your salvation is assured for those who follow Christ. Don't let Satan beat you up over this. We all sin. And for those who are willing to repent, those who come to Christ They are forgiven. If you are a follower of Christ on a journey, you're learning how to be more like Jesus. It's not over. I don't like the term, they're a mature Christian. Mature to me sounds like it's over. You've done it. Until you meet Jesus face to face, you are still maturing. If you're on the earth, there's still more to be learned. So I use the term, we're maturing Christians at a different point in the journey. Because I want to believe if I make my 90s, there's still something I'm learning. And if you're like my dad, lots you're forgetting too. But he is learning to love Jesus. In his dementia state, he sits in his chair and says he's happy because he knows Jesus loves him. That is learning still. He's still recognizing the Father in ways that I can't understand. I don't know what's going on in there, but I know Jesus is in there. I know he can hear Jesus talk to him and loving him. So our lives are constantly moving forward, but what happens... There's something that wants to stop the journey, an entity of evil. Satan is trying to lure us away from following Christ, and we need to be aware that Satan at every turn wants us to go a different direction than Christ wants us to go. John writes it, and I'm preaching it today to you and to me. Watch out. Satan is lurking. And the teachings of this world are being interchanged with the teachings of God to the point where we don't recognize how far off we are. We are naturally sinful. Most of us would agree that we have issues within our own DNA. The problem is, if that's part of our nature, what is most appealing to us? The sinful nature. It's just natural. So it's even more difficult when people preach things that are counter the Bible, not to see them as, I'd like to do that, it sounds good to me. We want to learn these things so we will not sin, but as we're about to get into the hard part, remember that you are forgiven, that you are assured of your salvation as long as you choose to follow Christ. I think what we need to remember is to fall on our knees, to fall in the mercy of God is the life of the Christ follower. To confess our sins is the life of the Christ follower. To do what is right is the life of the Christ follower, and confess when we do wrong, that is the life of the Christ follower. To learn the difference between right and wrong is the life of the Christ follower, and to apply as much as we can, to be as right as we possibly can, to show our love towards God, always falling on his mercy, always striving to need less mercy. So let's go to the toughest part. I'm going to do this based on my personal observations and my own life. And the reason I do that is I've not been here long enough to make a comment directly on the church. But what I've observed from people, I'm going to address today. First of all, we're not all very good at loving our brothers. We're just not. And you're a loving church. We can always be better at loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's an observation from everywhere I've been. You're still here. You can learn to love more. Second, we often stray from the truth and don't recognize our own sin. Maybe there's some of you here who don't sin or recognize every time you sin. But the truth is, for most of us, we sin and we don't always recognize it. And there are areas in our life where we believe we are without sin. But as a follower of Christ, when we realize there's something wrong, if we're willing to go to God for his forgiveness, that is where we stay in the light and don't end up in the darkness. That is incredibly important. See, for me, I'm not on the edge of the cliff about to fall off. I'm not about to fall into the pit of hell all of a sudden. But I recognize that I always want to go towards the darkness because the darkness is something that's comfortable to me because I am a sinner. The problem is, if we want to keep relationship with Christ, we must recognize that we are in a state of constant repentance. But the next part is the toughest part. Let me read to you further in 1 John. 1 John 2. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. I hope this grabs you. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you see how black and white that is? This is getting scarier because it's not just in the darkness. This is said right to us in a world that loves itself. In a culture that promotes itself, we should not love the world because we are promoting the culture, not God. It goes on to say, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has done and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The other ones, okay, I don't always love my brother, but I can learn to do that. I don't always recognize I'm sinning, but I can learn more through my life what sin is. I sometimes think I don't sin in some areas, but sometimes God points out to me and says, yeah, you were a little sinful there. It may not have been specifically that, but were you loving when you responded? But the ways of the world are so easy to confuse with the way of Christianity. It's so easy to fall in love with this world because much of what we are taught actually matches the world's set of morals and standings. The version of love we learn is actually the version of accepting anything because that's what nice people do. The evil of this world is the most likely thing to trip us up in our walk with Christ. Let's remember what happened. Evil, or good and evil, were not something we were designed to tell the difference between. If you go back to Genesis, that was not our job. Before someone decided to, to ingest some fruit, we did not know good from evil. Who did we rely on? We relied on God. We had the perfect example. We didn't choose, God just directed us. I don't know how it works, because we're too far away from the garden. But for some reason, we didn't need to know the difference. And we had a relationship with God that we didn't, we're not required to know the difference. And then the piece of fruit. And then we knew good from evil. And what happens when you know good from evil? You also know things you probably don't want to do. And the more we knew what evil was, the more we decide we do evil. We record a murder not long after that. Brothers, one murdering the other. And the more we do evil, the more evil becomes natural to us. And the more we sin, the more sin becomes the way that we live, the way of the world. And we spiral out of control into sin to the point where our deepest desire, what we want, is usually sinful. What makes it harder is our desires are actually based on God's perfect plan but they're perverted by sin. Think about the desire for a member of the opposite sex. God designed it that way. We turned it into pornography. God God designed us to have enough to survive on. We turned it into a class system of riches. God richly blessed the Israelites. They turned it into, we're better than you. They didn't look at it as their obedience to God led to their blessing. They looked at it as their own abilities led to their blessing. You see, God has pure intentions, and they're perverted by us. And we don't even notice because we're so wrapped up in the ways of the world. I feel, therefore, I am. That is what we follow now. If it feels good, do it. I think that started in the 60s or the 70s. And that's become how we figure out what things are. The cravings of sinfulness, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of our own flesh has become who we are. How do you move up in the world? We used to think Mother Teresa was wonderful. Now we think rich billionaires are what we should be. This is not ranting against money, I don't mind having a little money myself. I have a few car repairs to pay for, if you're here last week you know that. It's not my point. My point is, is that it went from those who served as being the ideal just in the last hundred years, maybe even 50, to those who made millions and billions and who cared what happened to anyone else. Is that God's way? Are we to be servants? Oh, no, we wouldn't use that. As a matter of fact, the Bible uses the word slave, bondservant. We don't use that. We're asked to be slaves to Christ, but that doesn't fit our current culture No one owns me. I have my own rights. Christianity is about giving up your own rights and following God. You have the right to live in sin, but Christianity is about the right to give it up and say, God, you're in charge. I want to live a holy life. I like to say that the ways of the world for me are just as drawing as they are for you. I have to work not to let my eyes become agents of lust or my mouth to become a fountain of self-promotion. It happens because that's the way the world works. I need to get out there and promote myself so I can have a bigger following. And oh, I can look at any woman I want. That's okay because the world says it's okay and after all, well, God must have designed me that way because I have that feeling. I feel, therefore I am is not a Christian concept. The biggest danger today is not the people in the pews. It's the pastor in the pulpit. When we take on the authority of this position, when we get to speak to so many people, the danger is that we've let the worldly ideas come in and diffuse, separate things out and become so weak and so diluted that we can't tell the difference between godly commands and worldly commands. The danger is horrific because the words of my sermon will become the words of the world, not the words of the Bible. And I'll grab a verse here and there and I'll rip out a bit of scripture I don't like and throw it there. Then I'll copy a verse I want out of its context and I will preach it. I can do all things through God who strengthens me. I dare you to read everything around that because it's not a happy situation Often the verses we read that promise great things are great things in the middle of trial. They're not just great things. The way of the world says God has promised me great things because I want to be rich and happy. The way of God is I am enough. God is enough. I don't need money to be happy. I don't need anything more than God. God will provide. But the ways of the world beg us to become something different. They beg us to say, I'm better than everyone else. In Philippians, Paul writes, each one should think think of yourself lower than the other person. Think of them first. Have the attitude of Christ Jesus, who was by the very nature God, but became nothing. Do we live that way? The way of the world says, I am better than everyone else, and if I'm not, I'm working at it. Jesus said, I'll be worse than everybody else. I will take everyone's sin on me and I'll work at their salvation. I'm going to get really blunt in a couple of minutes. I'm going to address some things that, if they weren't said, they were inferred enough that people heard them being said that way. But I want to do one thing beforehand, because it can get real preachy, and it can get very arrogant-sounding. I don't want it to be that way. So I'm going to do a bit of a no-no, but I'm going to reread part of John to give you context. I'm going to change it a little. So I'm going to go back to 1 John 2, 12, I'm going to read that and make it apply to today, 12 through 14. I'm telling this to you, my children, this morning, because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. This sermon this morning to you, parents, is because you know him who was from the beginning. I write this to you, young people. Or I tell you, young people, because you have overcome the evil one. I tell you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I tell everyone here today because you've known him who was from the beginning. I tell you today, young men, because you are strong and young women, you are strong and you have overcome evil. I am telling you the hard things because you are already saved. You already have that salvation, but I'm telling you that the evil one wants to take it away from you. I'm not preaching at you, I'm reminding you that the way of the world is creeping in and you need to be careful. In the church in North America, do not love the world does not get preached. If you look at the American church especially, the world and politics and everything is the church. You don't hear a lot about Jesus, but you do hear a lot about certain political parties and certain belief systems. You don't hear a lot about giving unless it is to a political party. This needs to change. Those are the things of the world. We spend more times arguing about COVID, which can kill you, than discussing what happens after you die, no matter what you die of. Those are the ways of the world where we're worried about our rights, but not worried about someone's salvation. We must change. Any pastor who stands in a pulpit, this pulpit or another, and promotes worldly living and normalized worldly ideas, run. Because they will pull you in. Because of the power of this position. If anyone stands up here and tells you to do something that is worldly and says it's okay and finds a verse to back it up, Run. Because we're not to love the things of this world. We are to be repentant against the things of this world. If the ideas of this world tempt you, pray that God will give you the strength to overcome. We are here to overcome, not embrace the world. And now we get to the part that either was misheard or misspoken. If it's misspoken, it makes me incredibly sad. If it was misheard, it still makes me sad because people still believe this. If I see a woman in the park and find her attractive, I commit no sin. If I see a woman in the park and find myself, find myself getting aroused by her, I am on the crossroads of sin and godliness. And if I stay in that park and allow that woman to get me aroused, I am sinning, plain and simple. That is loving the world. That is the lust of the eyes. Jesus said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart. The lust of the eyes is the sin of the heart. And for those of you who know what I'm talking about, I am setting the record straight. It is the world that says that pornography is okay. It is the world that says that looking at a woman, so long as you don't touch her, is okay. That's not appropriate. It's the world that says, I feel, therefore I go for it. Let me remind you of something. Marriage is a metaphor to our relationship with God. If you're going out and getting excited about someone you're not married to, then are you going out and joining other religions and then going home to God? It is not okay to use someone else for your own gratification then go home to your spouse. And it's not okay. and God is a jealous God, to go out and try all the religions on, but at the last minute go, oh, God, I was wrong. I'm so sorry. Or, God, I'm coming back to you. I believe this had to be corrected, because I believe there are some misunderstandings. Where they started doesn't matter. Where they end is important. That is the lust of the eyes, the love of this world. And now that I'm stepping in the middle of it, I might as well wade right through it and just stand in it. Let's go with another one here. Anyone whose self of sense becomes inflated from their position does not understand about being made lower, which Jesus did. Anyone who does not give the glory to God but promotes himself is not living a godly life but desiring the ways of this world. Material things, jewelries, cars, houses, jobs, money, the appearance of one's spouse become the definition of oneself, then you're not being defined by God. If you lose the jewelry and you lose the car and the people around you that say are beautiful get older and just don't look what you say is beautiful, what happens to you? How about we follow God who never changes? God who does not become old. God who cannot be lost. But when we inflate ourselves, when we boast about the things we have done, we become arrogant. God does it or allows it to happen. I'm blessed. I get to be up here. God allows me to be up here. I'm reminded when I wake up in the morning and pop all the different pills I have to just so I can be up here and there's still not supposed to be enough that I can preach that God said, David, I'm going to let you do this. Most of you don't know, but I lost my voice. It was blowing out. I'm told I would never sing. I'm told I'd never be able to go through an entire sermon, let alone work full time. Every time I get up here, I know. One of the reasons I can't boast is because I know all God has to do is say, It's done. And I'm done. To boast of what I do makes no sense. Because I am only up here because God placed me here. And he can take it away any time. The ways of the world say boast about what you do. The ways of God say I am nothing without Jesus. And if I'm going to boast in something. It's going to be Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Do not love the ways of this world. As a church. As individuals. Or all we'll have is a worldly church. Do not give in to the desire to self promote because then all we'll have is a church that follows one person, and that's not Jesus. Do not lust after other people because God designed us to be connected with two different people. Well, God isn't a person, He's more than that. One our spouse, and the other God. Do not give in to the ways of the world, or we are not a church. We're a club that's here to self-promote and to make ourselves look better. I say these things because you are followers of Christ, because you have been misled, you have been mistaught, but God wants us to repent. God wants us to boast in God alone. God looks for our purity and a broken heart that says, God, I've messed up. Change me, make me more like you. I told you it was a hard topic because if it means nothing to you from this church, it does mean something to you from the world because we all want to be liked by the people of this world. Jesus said we may lose brothers, fathers, mothers, sons. We may lose our family for him. But in the end, he is all that matters. What does it gain a man to have the whole world and lose his very soul? do not love this world. Heavenly Father, teach us these hard lessons that probably seem a little raw, these hard lessons that that touch in places that we've been through. God, help us. Help us to recognize that you want to be our God. That you want to be the only one we love. God, help us not to love this world even though it is so tempting and seems so normal in our lives help us to not go by what we feel to feel good but what we know that you are God and we are not and we need you in your name we pray amen